Hey, everybody, welcome back to Baxi's Musical Podcast with my special guest today, Lee Ving from Fear. Today's podcast is brought to you by Canna Provisions. Canna Provisions is an adult-use cannabis dispensary with the largest selection of cannabis products in western Massachusetts with locations both in Holyoke and in Lee. They offer a warm, unique shopping experience with guides rather than bud tenders. In fact, it's not just a dispensary. They're a destination. Visit CannaProvisions.com. CannaProvisions.com. Please be over 21 and please consume responsibly. And now, Baxi's Musical Podcast. Baxi's Musical Podcast. If you were going to make a list of the 10 most iconic moments in punk rock history, the 1981 Halloween night musical appearance by the band Fear on Saturday Night Live has to be among your top 10 moments. It was an unforgettable performance that not only included the passionate support of Fear's biggest fan, the late John Belushi, that performance resulted in Fear receiving a lifetime ban from the show, immortalized forever in one of the most unforgettable musical performances in SNL history. But Fear were more than that. They were one of a handful of bands that also appeared in the film The Decline of Western Civilization by filmmaker Penelope Spheris. Fear is a band that was formed in the late 1970s that would help shape what would become one of the earliest incarnations of California hardcore. And the band's sole remaining original member is singer, guitarist, songwriter Lee Ving, who has kept Fear's relevance alive ever since. In fact, the band is releasing an extensive box set commemorating the album, which includes outtakes, demos, and various rough mixes. There's also going to be a new full-length documentary about the band, which is being put together by Jason Zink. And there's a new album of new fear material coming out for the first time in 22 years. It's a real pleasure to speak to Lee Ving from Fear on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, how are you? Just fine, man. <laughs> it's nice to see you. How are you? And thank you very much. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I really mean that. This this record has been in my life for what seems like forever hey you too you got one too <laughs> i feel like whenever i'm having a shitty day at work i just have to play let's have a war and it's it's like it's so calming it's like everything's gonna be okay things aren't so bad so thank you for that uh, my pleasure man thank you this is uh this is a pretty busy time for your new album a box set there's a documentary on the way there's just like so much activity all seem to culminate at once is it just the the 40th anniversary of the album or were there other things going on at the same time? Yeah, we had, we had planned this prior to, and have been working on it sort of steadily as we're going, uh, both the, uh, three record set new album and the, uh, will be released because we just got, uh, retained the rights to the first record from Warner brothers. I, I wanted to ask you about that. Cause I, considering, you know, how much unreleased material there had been, that had to be kind of an interesting, I don't want to say it's a fight, but at least it's, you know, it's, it's a major effort to get your own material back into your own, you know, into your own ownership. It was, it was pretty well laid out with papers initially. And uh, so that simplified the process as it was time to reverse 
let's talk about the box set here for for a second here. The unreleased material was live performances. There's the the original demos of Neighbors with John Belushi. There's also a handful of copies, like 25 copies, that include a radio commercial that you guys had done uh, years ago. It almost sounds like the, the like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. What, where's the uh, where does that that radio commercial come from? It would be hard to say. It might have been from KROQ something that we were doing there and uh that's how it got popped into our life it's funny i remember the the 1980s very very well and i remember watching all these you know these talk shows phil donahue and and geraldo and and, you know and back in the late 70s and early 70s it's like like the worst thing that could ever happen to your kid was for them to become a punk rocker i mean they, they could drop out of high school they could become unemployable but give the kids some boots and safety pins and all of a sudden, it's time to relocate to the suburbs. I mean, the, the reaction to punk rock back then was so... People, Americans were so shocked by bands like yours and, and, the, and the Germs and, and, uh, and the Dead Kennedys. I just remember parents just being so outraged by what you guys were doing that, you know, in hindsight, it almost seems, you know, sublime and, and, and comical. What's, what was your thought about, you know, those early years? It was adventurous. That was, and, and things prior to that had gotten redundant and uh, matter of course and, and not, not super duper in, in any way, not a big change in any way. And it was time for some other stuff, some new stuff to be part of it. You know, rock and roll itself had a similar reaction when, when it was discovered or first presented, you know, the, the adult world. <laughs> was was shocked and uh, you know all all the adjectives that you used to describe what people were demonstrating once they heard punk rock so it was it was sort of uh, a, a stepping off point that was a welcome relief what's kind of interesting about fear in, in particular is you know back then the whole idea was that you know anyone could start a punk band with limited experience, limited knowledge of music. That was never your story. I mean, you you had no. a, a long history of really knowing what you were doing. So tell me how you go from being a harmonica player in blues and jazz combos to suddenly starting Fear. Well, it was, I, I liked the idea of it being simplistic. That, that, was, that was good to have it as a mainstay, but also... After you know being uh, playing guitar since <laughs> since the dawn of time, uh, it it was it was refreshing to get out there and you know put some things together that I wrote and uh, finding players who were well capable and going from there. It, it wasn't uh, you know we we weren't learning. Well, other than the fact that you're always learning was just that uh, it was it was time to apply things that I thought would be interesting to people. And uh, it seemed to work. What was the reaction for people back then? I mean, obviously, you're dealing with other bands that don't have the, the musical talent or understanding that you do. But even the crowds must have been a, a little bit surprised that, you know, here's a band playing punk rock that actually knows what the hell they're doing what was what was the reaction to that uh i i think they were reacting to what we were presenting to them at that time not what we had done before uh, what our history had been individually and as a group or any any of that and it was it was time for some change some nuance something that people could dig their teeth into and, and wasn't completely common i thought that would be helpful 
and it, it was. And then uh, there were things that we did with with some Dave Mustaine's band and uh, Guns N' Roses and yeah. uh, the Foo Fighters, you know, and uh, those were, and with John Belushi getting us onto Saturday Night Live, not to mention. So all those things conspired to maybe giving us an advantage. I remember um, reading the John Belushi book, the one that Bob Woodward had written, uh, Wired. And some people take that whole story with a grain of salt, but there's a good deal of the book that deals with John and his relationship uh, with fear and and you know what a big fan he was and, and getting you guys on Saturday Night Live. Tell me about that relationship with with John. How did you how did you meet him and 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 how did you get along with him? We got along great. We had lots in common and uh, I had been a fan of his his comedic routines and acting and Saturday Night Live and before you know it how in the world did this ever happen? There we are on Saturday Night Live. And what an amazing boost that was for us. It made things much easier in some respects. I was actually just watching the video before we went on, and it's just the greatest piece of live television I've ever seen. It's just, it's just, it's absolute mayhem from, you know, Donald Pleasance introducing you guys to the performance. And then you have all these kids stage diving you know, during the performance. Tell and me they that. had to go to stock footage. They had to go to some other, some other broadcast for a moment while they were able to clear all this rabble off the stage <laughs> and restore order, which was uncommon for Saturday Night Live to have to deal with anything such as that. It made the performance, uh, it, the, the whole thing was strategically correct from what I could see uh, from what I was planning. And uh, I'm, and I think, and, and I'm, I'm virtually certain that, that John, who had been in uh, some irregularities with his relationship to the show and the people therein that uh, he was working with and for. And uh, this really filled the bill, made it more authentic as well. And uh, to get all these kids on the stage, I think that the, uh, the brass at Saturday Night Live felt their lives were being threatened <laughs> at, that, at that moment. And it was a very uncommon set of circumstances for Saturday Night Live or for any other show of that stature. And it was of amazing benefit to us. And I have to think that John, with one eyebrow raised as the camera went to him, was having the last laugh. He had to, because it, my understanding in the in the book was it, it didn't just ask once or twice to get fear on Saturday Night Live. He worked hard to get you guys on Saturday Night Live. That was like a real passion for him. It was just an unbelievably amazing gift to us to have uh, someone with John's stature and power to be on our side and in our corner working with us. <laughs> it was just great. To After the performance... Uh, uh, on Saturday Night Live and the show was shut down. I think that the camera went to him and there he was not saying anything with one eyebrow raised, <laughs> telling the whole story. You know, I know that he felt uh, supported and uh, enjoyed the way things had worked out. One of the things that was different from maybe any other performance before or since on that show was the fact that fans were brought into the studios. Yes, I mean, to, be, to be the audience authentic as was the music so the whole thing was uh, it was pretty pretty well looked to and planned for and it worked <laughs> and then uh, when the, when the tv camera went to john 
and he didn't say anything. He just raised one eyebrow. <laughs> now, that told the whole story right there. You had uh, you know, guys like Ian Mackay from Minor Threat and Tesco V from the Meat Men and the guys from the Cro-Mags and Megan Reproach. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. There weren't supposed to be that many kids that came. That, that may have been it. Yeah, I think that they were not prepared for the uh, size of the crowd, but they were pretty well determined to let everybody in who had come up, you know, bust <laughs> all the way from D.C. or something, took the train or however they got up there. And... Uh, it worked out perfectly. It made it a, a moment in history that was uh, correct from all sides. The report's completely different no matter what source you look at. Do you remember approximately how much damage was done to the studio? Uh, from what I could see and uh, what I believe is the case, there, there was no damage to the studio. The kids were more involved in, in doing their uh, <laughs> slam dance than they were in, uh, you know, doing mischief. Uh, other than the fact of their existence was mischief enough. And uh, so to get them up, all, get them all up on stage <laughs> and then have the show have to go to some kind of stock footage That's, was just uh, the perfect uh, summation of the, the evening's events. Just so great. And it, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about, about those talk shows and the shock of, of punk music at the time. By that point, Saturday Night Live had become an institution and to see it stained by these by these punk rock kids diving off stage from an audience perspective right. you know i remember and i remember watching it and also remembering that they it took years before they allowed that footage to be available anywhere else you can see it on youtube now but for years they would they never showed that episode but nevertheless it just it just it's it's so funny to me now how offensive this all was when in fact by the time I was old enough to go to these shows, it was like, yeah, no, that's a jumping off a stage is really not that big of a deal. Right. Compared to what else was going on in the world and what people are do were doing, it was just a, it was what rock and roll has always done. I mean, I, I call it rock and roll, but <laughs> you know, whatever you call it, it, it would all came from the same inspiration the same place the same motivation you guys got another pretty good boost prior to the saturday Night live appearance was the uh, the film the decline of western civilization from uh, penelope spiris and i've talked yes. to her, and i've talked to her about the, the the whole trilogy it's interesting to me now you know looking back at even that film how you know i'm looking at you know like footage of of darby crash who would now be 68 69 years old had uh, had he lived I mean, everybody in that movie is, is so young and there's an innocence and yet there's also a danger that, that some of, uh, of the, the people of that time were living. Is, was that different in California than it was, say, like in New York or other scenes around the country? Was, it, was, was, was California that much different than anywhere else? California is pretty, was pretty laid back as the, the, the expression goes. And, uh, had always been and, and maybe always will be but uh yeah it was it was good because there was it, it was not unusual for there to be uh new things being introduced in california because the you know it's just the the temp it's more temperate you don't have these freezing winters and six months of rain and all that kind of stuff <laughs> to deal with the, the weather's a, a little better and uh and there, there was lots, because this thing was generating for a while, there were not the big expensive places to play, 
but there were lots of places to play, you know, smaller right. ones that, uh, that, that specialized in this sort of thing. And, uh, you, you know, you could see all the kids coming up on stage and that kind of thing. And there was, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing that's not good about that, that idea of the kids being up on stage, the audience being up on stage with the band. Right. It was, it, that was also a nuance. So it was cool. It, it was, uh, it was working out very well. And Penelope's film w was great. It was like uh, a who's who. Because, it was, you know, it, it was it was developing in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And that film had uh, the, the people that took part in the film. It, it was part of the authentic scene, the part of the the spearhead, the 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 most the newest of the uh, bands that were doing this kind of thing. And uh, it was going very well. The whole country had a place or two in every town you could mention that put on this kind of stuff. It's an incredibly important film for, for, for punk music and how much it was exposed from it. You know, Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and uh, X. When that movie came out, did you find it easier to get booked in other parts of the country after that movie? Or did it make yes. much of a difference? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it did. It had a, it had a definite effect. If you were uh, one of the boys club that was in that movie, it was, uh, and as people were seeing that this is something that people will pay entrance to come and see, and it's going to be a popular kind of music and uh, music in general generates good, uh, good money. And um, this looked like it was, albeit didn't look like exactly the, the other uh, searching for success scenes it looked like it was going to be successful in spite of itself. There's a, uh, there's a documentary that's being worked on. I don't, I don't even know how far into it they're, they're in. Uh, filmmaker Jason Zink is doing it. In fact, uh, the, the trailer is on the, uh, the Fear website, fearleaving.com, uh, called We Destroy the Family. It looks fantastic. I mean, I, I don't know how much involvement you have in that, but it's like you know, it, it's a story that's, that is a long overdue is to go back and look at the at, at Fear's pretty amazing career. Yes, and to have uh, started in Brendan Mullins' The Mask in, in Hollywood, in downtown Hollywood, and to have gone from that to playing every club that wanted to have something to do with this, with this scene, and then Saturday Night Live to cap it all off at that time was just great. Yeah. You know, you couldn't have planned a uh, a, a better uh, attempt at at, uh, at garnering a following. Absolutely, I do want to ask you about the the new record because this is uh, you know, this is pretty exciting too. It's 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 the first album of new music by Fear in about I think it's almost twenty two years since the last time right. you guys have released something and new. Our our fortieth anniversary is quickly on the way here. And uh, and you got a, a couple of original members uh, back playing with you, and uh, a bunch of guests too. Tell me about uh, what uh, people can expect with a new record. Uh, songs that they'd not heard before, and uh, things that we felt were deserving of presentation. So uh, you know, we've included them in, in this, in, in the, the plans for that release, and uh, also uh, a, a, another release, a re-release of the first record because that just came back to us. We just got that back from Warner Brothers. 
and Bit and Philo are both involved in this one? Spit is still playing drums. Uh, Philo lives on the East Coast, so it's more difficult for us to just like, you know, slap together a rehearsal and play somewhere Friday night in Hollywood right. as, as it was before. But you, know, you never can tell, uh, you know, Philo's a great player and uh, we, would, we would have him join us at, at any time such as is uh, desirable by all parties concerned. Yeah. And uh, so I wouldn't rule anything out. It, it, was, uh, it was great knowing that we were strong players and uh, it continues to feel that way. Does it, does it feel good to go back and to play with guys that you've known for all this time? I mean, there's been a lot of members of fear over the right. years, but to go back to those original guys, I mean, that has to feel, you know, kind of good that you can, well, that we're you not, can do we're it. not going back to anyone. We've always been with them. I mean, Spitz been the drummer the whole time. Uh, me, the, the, the guy who does what I do. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, but, but, but for 40 years, that's a good, that's a real good long stretch with in, in any band. Yes, that's true. Yeah. But you've also got, you know, Slash and uh, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses, Scott Ian from Anthrax, Shooter Jennings is involved in this. Uh, yes. I got to believe there had to be a line out the door for people who wanted to, to join you in this. Well, those, those names are, are definitely, uh, fellow collaborators <laughs> and, uh, we we of course were were very happy at that interest. When is the the record coming out? I think Christmas time. But uh, yes, we, we it will be well. Uh, we'll advertise so everybody knows. That'll make a, that'll make a perfect Christmas gift. Yes, indeed. I want to I want to ask you about uh, you know, your acting career too. You, I mean, you were in some pretty big films: Flashdance, Clue, Street of Streets of Fire. How did you transition from being a, a musician into into film? I would have to say that it was, uh, well, the decline of Western civilization was helpful. Uh, the Saturday Night Live performance was helpful. And I had also made friends of some people in the film business. Uh, my original agent, John Burnham, and uh, he was able to, to uh, get me to places where they were doing that sort of thing film work and uh being that there was all this buzz from this punk rock band that we have it gave me a uh a desirability i think to the <laughs> casting world to uh you know see what this was all about and as per those appointments came uh you know after the after we had actually been in a film albeit a documentary uh, there may have been some curiosity for all that, which I welcomed. And of course, uh, Flashdance was a big deal. And uh, Clue yeah. was a big deal. And uh, and th they all were. And I look forward to more of that as, as time goes on here. I, I remember Clue in particular because you know, I mean, the cast of that movie was, um, was unbelievable. And, 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 and here you are as, as really, in a way, kind of the central figure. You're Mr. Body. You're you're the guy that everyone's trying yes, to figure that, out. That was the the reason the the whole the reason the whole reason for the story. Yeah, and what's what's great about it is is you played a great, intimidating kind of sleazy guy. <laughs> I think you, yes. you knocked it out of the park on that one. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, again, the uh, the box set is coming out. The 40th anniversary. Uh, box set the new record the documentary 
uh, We Destroy the Family. This, I mean, this if you're a Fear fan, there's so much stuff to look forward to. Lee, it's it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I I, I really appreciate the time, and and I have been a big fan since since you were kicked off of Saturday Night Live. It's still one of the best things I've ever seen on television. Oh, very cool. Uh, I wanted to uh, say hello to and to thank Jason Zink for being the uh, director of our documentary about fear. It looks fantastic. I'm really excited to see it. Very cool. Yeah, that was that's the reaction that we're looking for. Yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I watch a lot of documentaries as I've been doing this podcast over the last couple of years. And every time I see one, right. I'm going, I got to see that one. And this is one of those uh, documentaries. I just, I, I just can't wait for Baxi, I want to thank you for, <laughs> for the help that you have been in that regard. Each, each of these things that we get to do uh, assists all the other things in bringing it along. It seems to work that way. You, thank you today for this. I interview that we did you're very welcome and i and i again i appreciate the time lee thank you so much you bet you brother talk to you soon you bet take care you can pre-order the new 40th anniversary box set of the record by fear on may 16th it's expected to be out and shipped by december plus the new album and the documentary we destroy the family all coming out later this year thanks again for listening hope you enjoyed it today's podcast again brought to you by canna provisions and holyoke and Lee, Massachusetts. Check them out at cannaprovisions.com. And if you like the show, I'd love to hear about it. You can email me at backsatrock102.com. Thank you so much for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.